Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. I want to share with you uh, a passage of Scripture today, if you will. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 6. And while you're finding your place there in Isaiah chapter 6, I want to tell you that for the next three weeks, we're going to be spending time together in Isaiah chapter 6. And we're going to talk about the topic of worship. And we're going to talk about how we might rightly exercise this privilege of worship, not only in the natural sense as we're permitted here by law, but in a spiritual sense as we approach the throne of God, how that we might... um, Uh, worship the Lord in an appropriate manner. Now before I get started today, I just want to mention that our worship team did an excellent job this morning. But, but, I just wanted to tell Brad Gill how much I missed that trombone in the bridge of that last song. So good to have you back, buddy, and uh, glad you're doing well, but we did miss you, so uh, you go ahead and get yourself together and get back up here. <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna, I want to share with you today something that may seem a, a little bit excessive, but while you're finding your place in Isaiah chapter 6, I want to read for you for some other passages of Scripture from the Psalms. Psalm 29 and verse 2 says this, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name, worship the Lord, in the splendor of his holiness. Psalm 89, 86, 9 says, All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They bring glory to your name. Psalm 95, 6 says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Psalm 96, 9 says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Psalm 97, 7 says, All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols, worship him, all you gods. Uh, Psalm 99, 5 says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Psalm 99, 9. Are you getting the picture? Okay, Psalm 99, 9. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Psalm 100, verse 2. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Psalm 102, 21 and 22. So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. Psalm 132, verse 7 says, Let us go to his dwelling place and let us worship at his footstool. Can I tell you today that you and I clearly are made to worship? We are made to worship. As the chief, as the Westminster Catechism states, that is our chief end, is to worship God and to glorify Him and and to bring honor to His name. That's why here at Faith Assembly we stress worship so much. But the thing is, and as Pastor Trey has said this morning and has stressed several times, worship is more than an action performed during the context of one of these services. The worship that is performed in this place before the Lord should be an overflow. We talk about sometimes coming into the house and getting fueled up to go back out. Actually, it should be the reverse. 
Because it should be what we're experiencing Monday through Saturday that overflows and flows out of us when we come and that joy is multiplied as we gather together in the presence of the Lord. So, so that's why we stress that our lives are to be lived in worship to the one who has set us free and who has redeemed us. Now, in the Old Testament, we, we're going to read here a prescription for worshiping the Lord. And in the Old Testament, if you ever read through that, you'll find very quickly, and even some in the New Testament, that there are ways that are acceptable means of worshiping the Lord. There are some ways that are not acceptable. There's ways that we shouldn't approach the Lord. Uh, if you'll remember the story of Nadab and Abihu, they came to the Lord with a strange fire and, and they were rejected. Abel, uh, Cain was rejected in his worship. So we know there's an there's a offering that is received. There's an offering that is not and something that we've already read, all these scriptures, I don't even know how many I read earlier before we got started, but all of these verses that, that ascribe to us the task and the, not only the privilege but the, but the responsibility to worship the Lord together, something that's stressed with that sense of urgency in the scripture, if I'm going to spend the time, if I'm going to give my hours during the week and on Sunday mornings and things to, to engage in that activity, well, I want to be sure that I'm doing it the right way, that I'm, I'm approaching it with the right heart, that I'm approaching it with a, with a way that's going to be acceptable uh, to the Lord. So if you've got your spot there in Isaiah chapter 6, we're heading that way in a hurry. Uh, and in Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to get a glimpse of what worship looks like in heaven. We, we talk about different contexts of worship here on earth, traditional worship, contemporary worship, and, you know, this, this way and that way and another way and everything. But I want to show you today what's actually happening in heaven. And one such example here is in Isaiah chapter 6. And I, if you've got your spot there, shout amen. And I want to embark today on a three-week study centered around this vision that was given to the prophet Isaiah as he is ushered in before the very presence of God. And before we get started, I just want to set a tone here. Because I know there are people that, you know, they, when it comes to the act of worship, there are a lot of folks who want to argue personality. And say, well, pastor, I see people that come up to the altar and they jump and dance around. I see people raise their hands and wave their hands and clap and cry and all those things. But, you know, that's not my personality. You know, I just don't, I just don't worship that way. Uh, you know, and I get that. And I'm not going to try to argue against that. The only thing I would say is that <clears throat> if you worship differently at the ball game than you do here in church, then that is not your personality. You're just holding out from God. Your personality is your personality wherever you're at. Right? If you can be loud and proud of your team, you can be loud and proud of God. Amen? So, here's the thing. Worship, though, is not an issue of activity as much as it is a matter of the heart. There are principles of worship that transcend personality and they get to the heart of the matter. 
the foundational purpose of worship, the, the attitude of our worship, the functional purpose of our worship. So if you've got your spot there, look with me. Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. And the word says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. And I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, I said, Here am I. Send me. I want you to notice with me today the posture of these angelic worshiping creatures pointed out by Isaiah as they encircled the very throne of God. Isaiah says that they had six wings, and with two of their wings they covered their faces. And we're going to camp there today, and that's where we're going to go. And if you haven't picked up, we're going to talk about the function of each of these three sets of wings as they are there around the throne worshiping and the significance of those as it relates to a matter of heart as we approach the Lord to worship Him. But Isaiah says of these winged creatures as they flew around the throne saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. He describes them with this great detail and says that they had these six wings. With two they covered their face. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. So we stop here today and, and we look at these two wings with which they covered their face. Now I want to share with you today that as these seraphim are there covering their face with these two wings, as they are there before the very throne of God, that denotes a deep reverence and a respect for the one whom they worshipped. They approached the Lord with reverence. Can I tell you today that you and I, as we worship the Lord appropriately, worship done right is going to begin with reverence. We're going to come before him reverently. We're going to hallow his name as Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. So I'm not going to wax nostalgic today, but I just want to state this, that in my lifespan, just, just in the few years that, that I've been able to be aware of things and know what was going on, I can remember a different day in our society. And sadly, I can remember a different day in our churches as well. I never remember a time that sin didn't abound. I never remember a time when everyone professed Christ. I never remember a time when 
when men failed to do what was right in their own sight. But I do remember a day when there was a greater reverence for the things of God that was expressed by both the saints and the sinner alike than there are today. In today's culture, it seems that the more blasphemous we can be, the more widely we're accepted. The more vile, the more irreverence. Irreverence is not only cultivated, but it's applauded in the hearts and the minds of our young people. Sadly, in an effort to lure the world into its doors, many of our churches have made worship of the Lord a very casual and flippant experience. Now, when I say casual and flippant, I'm not talking about a, a style of wardrobe. Casual, again, can be a matter of the heart. It's not an outward appearance, it's an inward reality. But that casual experience that never challenges the heart, that you and I can come into this place, that we can get a good motivational speech. They'll share with us about the 12 steps of, of how to get some kind of happy life and, and all these things or seven steps about being good at your job and being effective in the workplace and all these things. But we're never challenged for a life change and we're never convicted of sin that resides in our own lives. It's one, it's a, it's a worship experience that never points out sin, one that never cultivates the life change. And when I speak again of irreverence and casualness, I'm not speaking about the clothes that we wear, but the attitude of our hearts as we approach God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Yes, you are a friend of God. You are a friend of God, and God is your friend, but he's not your old pal from high school, okay? I mean, yes, he is your friend, but he's not your old pal from high school. He's still the omnipotent creator of heaven and earth. I was recently reminded of the principle of reverence as I was reading the scripture. And I, 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 I've got to confess to you this morning, there are things in the Bible that I read, and maybe you do this too. There are some things in the Bible that I read them, and it makes me scratch my head. Anybody? I don't understand exactly sometimes what it has to do with my life, but I trust that there's a lesson to be learned. And if you'll permit me to say this, I've got to tell you, there are some things that I read that are just flat-out boring. You ever read the Chronicles? And, and perhaps that doesn't bother you to be bored by the Word, but it does me. I want to be excited. I want to be energized by, by what I'm reading. And... Sometimes when I'm reading these things and my natural mind begins to kind of wander and I, I kind of lose the passion and the zeal, I, I begin to ask the Lord and say, Lord, what is it that you want me to get from this? Because right now, Steve ain't getting it. I need you to show me something. I need you to reveal yourself here to me in these words. I need you to guide me through this and and I asked God what do you intend for me to learn from what I've just read and I had one such occasion some time ago and I want to give you this example 
It's in Exodus chapter 30, and it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a bronze basin with its bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Well, that's specificity. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and their feet with water from it. Wherever, whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with the water so that they will not die. Also, when they approach the altar to minister by presenting a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants for the generations to come. We skip down several verses later and the Lord continues speaking to Moses and says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take fragrant spices and pure frankincense and all in equal amounts and make a fragrant blend of incense and to the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it into powder and place it in front of the ark of the covenant of the law of the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. And it shall be most holy to you. Do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. Whoever makes incense like it to enjoy its fragrance must be cut off from, it, from their people. Now I know that you are excited about that. And I know that it has built your faith today. But this is one of those things that I'm reading and I'm saying... God, you've preserved this word, this record for me for all these centuries, millennia now from Moses' time. You've, you've preserved this record. What are you trying to show me? What are you trying to tell me? And as surely as I've ever heard the voice of the Lord, the answer came to me as clear as if there had been an audible voice in the room and said, these people worship me with the understanding that worship was such a serious and sacred affair that they have had to wash their hands and their feet before they approach me because I am holy. Worship wasn't something that they took lightly. Secondly, the Lord said to me, the things used in worship were not to be regarded as casual in nature, but as sacred. These things were set apart for the glory and the worship of the Lord's name, that they were not to be handled casually. And no longer do we use incense and ashes to worship the Lord, but we use our bodies and our beings, and, and they still need to be cleansed from the things of the world and set apart to the glory of God. Third, he said to me, Though you stand now cleansed by the blood of Christ, I am no less a holy God, worthy of honor, and worthy of respect and worthy of reverence and my worship is to be sacred to you Amen. can I just share with you today what practical reverence looks like and I'm not trying to be here with the list of do's and don'ts today I'm just trying to encourage you because I believe that you're here today, that you're hungry for the things of the Lord, that you need God to move in your life, that when you're here worshiping and praying, you're expressing a dependence upon Him. And I want you to have, I want you to have good favor for your endeavor. I want God to bless you. I want your worship time, both in this house and in yours, to be rich and rewarding. But can I share with you for a minute today what practical reverence looks like? 
As I said earlier, some people have tried to define reverence to mean a certain wardrobe, a certain hairstyle, an abstention from certain things. Some have tried to define reverence with a certain activity. But reverence is not an outer appearance. Reverence is a manifestation of a heart that has a, fil- a, a healthy fear of the Lord. Reverence is the manifestation of a heart that has a healthy fear of the Lord. Can I share with you what reverence looks like at church? I don't think you're ready, but I'm going to share with you. Reverence, please take this in the heart it's intended. Reverence goes to the bathroom before the service starts so they don't have to disturb those around them who really may need something from the Lord. Reverence is not so busy talking to its neighbor during the praise and worship and the delivery of the word that them, their neighbor, nor anybody else around them knows what's been said. Reverence makes it a point to show up on time. Because I believe God's going to meet me here. I believe God's going to be working from the first chord that struck all the way through the end of the service. And I don't want to be a hindrance or a disturbance. Reverence stays until it's over. Or at least their movements don't hinder someone else from getting to the altar, from connecting with God, from getting what they need. Reverence takes seriously the time that we are afforded together to delve into the things of God. Reverence says of the altar service, this is the time that God might minister healing, salvation, deliverance in the life of someone, and I'll stay and support them in prayer. At home, reverence says, hey, if I can't do this in the very presence of the Lord without being ashamed, I'm not going to do it here in the seeming solitude of my home. Reverence at home says, if it's not honoring to God, if it's offensive to God, then I don't want it in my house. Reverence says, what I learned in God's house, I will live in mine, in life. Reverence abstains from the very appearance of evil. You know, for a long time, we... And I know the pendulum swings so hard and so wide. We're, as a general rule, people are not good at balance. I, I get it. We, we, have, we have people that swing so far over here to legalism. And, and they, they pull out the list and the rule book and everything is do this and don't do that. And you shouldn't do this. And if it's fun, it's probably wrong. And all that stuff. I, I get all that. But then it just, there's a move afoot that just swings all the way real hard back to the other way. And it's, it's kind of like that, that word that Jude gives to the church and says that, that they've taken the, the grace of God and tried to turn it into a license for lasciviousness and lewdness. And, you know, we just try then to stand around and figure out under the grace of God what we can get away with. What, what, what we can get away with. There's, there's a lot of arguments that people have in the church that I believe are petty and wastes of time. 
Because the truth of the matter is, that we, we stand around sometimes arguing about things, trying to figure out whether they're right or wrong for the Christian to be involved in, whether they should or whether they shouldn't. And, and at the end of the line, we know that some of those things, though in, their, in the initial activity, may not be sin in and of themselves, that they would lead us to places that are. They would lead us to a lifestyle and a way of living that wouldn't be pleasing to God. So if I want to reverence him and I want to honor him, then I don't have to figure out whether it's right or wrong. All I've got to ask is, what place does it lead me to? Is my life then going to be pleasing to God? And if the answer to that is no, then I need to stay away from it. I need to reverence the Lord. If there's even a thought that it's not pleasing to God, reverence is going to pass. Reverence, though cleansed by the blood of Jesus, still stands in a holy fear of the Lord. Reverence keeps sin out of my heart, my life, and my mind. Reverence honors the Lord in all things. The psalmist writes these words in Psalm 19, verse 14, and it says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And can I tell you today as we're talking about this issue of reverence, as those winged beings there in heaven were encircling the throne and they were covering their face, reverencing the presence of Almighty God. If the meditation of my heart is right then the outward manifestation will be right I want to say that again if the meditation of my heart is right then the outward manifestation will be right also I, I am willing but not necessarily a worthy recipient of God's grace. So I don't know about you, but this, this idea of worshiping, of the Lord inhabiting the praises of his people is not something that I take casual or take lightly. It's a serious thing to me to be able to come into the presence of the Lord. To be able to raise my hands and worship him and stand before him as redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And offer my sacrifice of praise. The word says that we're to come boldly before the throne of grace. But boldly is not the same as haughty. Boldly is not the same as prideful. Boldly is in what Christ has done and not who I am. Yeah, I'm, I may come boldly in the work of Christ that's been completed on my behalf, but I also come reverently. I honor him. I, I honor him. I worship him. I realize today that I wouldn't be where I am if it was not for his goodness, his mercy. It's not of works lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God 
You can come boldly before the throne of grace, but remember, it's the grace of God that got you in proximity. And when you get there, you're still standing in the presence of the one that if he were to fully reveal himself to you, you would just melt in a puddle. Because that's the glory and that's the weight of who he is. He's holy. He's worthy. He's pure. He's a mighty God. You know, if, if some dignitary from this world were to walk in, some ruler, some government official, we would all take notice. We would recognize and reverence the presence of that individual. How much more should we be aware and reverence the presence of Almighty God and realize that these, these few and fleeting moments that we share together, they're not about us. They're about Him. They're about him, and he's worthy. He's worthy that we are aware of what he's trying to do in this moment. Not only in our own hearts, but in the hearts of those around us. When we come in, we shut out the things around us, and we focus on him. And we bow our hearts before him. Say, God, I'm here to honor you. I'm here to worship you. I'm here to praise you. I'm here to glorify your name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are worthy. God, help me to know myself as I stand before you. God, if there's any pride in me, let it fall in Jesus' name. God, if there's any irreverence in my action, God, quicken me to it. Convict me of it, O oh Lord. God, I want to honor your name and bring you glory and give you praise this morning. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us and we hope you have a blessed day.